Hey guys, good evening and welcome back to another episode of Mr. Vuelta talking about United States history. Now this time focusing on chapter 11 from your text uh, called Slaves and Masters. And this one examines kind of the overall kind of structure of Southern society and the kind of impact of slavery from kind of a personal level, right? All the way to sort of the economic uh, effects of this for the South uh, and its evolution as we get towards the Civil War era. All right, guys, so the beginning kind of focuses on uh, sort of wealth and class and caste in the South, right? Kind of being dictated by especially lands because they're so focused on agriculture and farming. Um, also, you know, the kind of different regionalism and stuff like that, right? Better land went to the more affluent people, the ones who could afford it. Uh, the land that was less fertile, things like that, went to people who were kind of down the social ladder. Um, again, we had a small group of African Americans that were free, right? About 6% or so. And then race is kind of the big dividing line for all members of kind of Southern society, right? Um, you know, uh, and the, that kind of racism and that system of kind of slavery um, provided a basis for a lot of their kind of relations and things like that. All right, guys, so some of the things for kind of daily life and labor, about 90% of slaves lived on plantations or farms. Uh, most slaves on those plantations worked, you know, during the daylight hours, so about 12 hours, six days a week. So about 75 were what we call like field hands or field workers, and about 5% worked in industry. Um, again, people, ones who worked in industry tend to have a little bit of a better situation and overall better working conditions. And then when we compare like urban versus rural slaves, um, urban slaves seems like they had a little bit more independence or autonomy when compared to rural slaves who were being used to grow cotton or tobacco and those things. Uh, again, family life, very difficult for slaves, right? Because uh, the family was always kind of threatened, right, by the threat of sale of siblings, of parents, of kids, uh, all these things. So family tends to be kind of a, a, a much wider kind of kinship network, right? Uh, because you had that question of mom and dad maybe not being around and all these things, you had a system of, you know, kind of people being raised sort of like in a community and things like that. Because with all that instability, you kind of had to appeal to these uh, you know, other African Americans who could help raise your children or at least provide some support in this kind of terrible circumstance. Um, let's see, some other things. Uh, Christianity, really important, is kind of a bedrock for African American culture and sustaining this terrible practice, right, of slavery. Uh, so some churches did allow African Americans to attend. You know, some would. Uh, we have a lot of evidence of like African Americans, for instance, after hours, kind of preaching on their own or. Uh, sort of telling stories and things like that revolving religion and things like that so uh, the idea is you know for religion and things like that how it impact their churches later is this is kind of a celebratory thing right religion is one of the things where they can kind of be themselves express themselves and uh, you know they took a lot of joy in that uh, the next section focuses on some of the resistances uh, from Prosser's kind of failed uh, attempt to uh, uh, in 1800 to Bessie's attempt at Charleston in 1822 but the one you do need to know for sure for assessment and other things is the 1831 Nat Turner Rebellion, which is, again, the bloodiest and by far the one with the best, or the best, the greatest impact on Southern society. Uh, and again, this is where Nat Turner, kind of prophet slash leader, right? Uh, his, uh, his associates went on a kind of two-day tirade, killing over 60 whites in a very kind of bloody affair. And the key thing being with that is it's going to change everything in the future, right? Rules will get much more strict on... Uh, movement of slaves, when they could gather, how they could gather, all those things. So that'll be kind of the point of no return for, um, in a lot of ways, for that kind of struggle. Uh, your book talks about other things, the Second Seminole War, and how a lot of slaves had escaped and joined the Seminoles. 
and of course runaways, right, being um, assisted by things like the Underground Railroad, which is that kind of network of uh, sympathizers, of abolitionist sympathizers that help people escape to the north or other places. Again, by far, the much more, less risky, more common ways to kind of show your resistance was slowing down work, uh, breaking tools, right, sabotaging tools, poisoning, arson. Uh, these were things were uh, more about kind of sometimes less risk and much more practical as far as how to get back at your, um, you know, at your owners or at your overseers. All right, guys, uh, for Southern uh, free African-Americans, uh, severely restricted as far as movement, stuff like that. Um, you know, as, as time passes, things will get worse and worse. And by the time we get to 1860 or so, so right, right on the dawn of the Civil War, um, you know, a lot of slaves will be basically, or free African-Americans will be forced to leave certain states in the South and just kind of safety and other concerns uh, won't be allowed in those regions. All right, guys, some other things now, kind of examining the kind of white culture of the South, is again, only a small group uh, owned like a mass number of slaves, right, from 50 or more slaves. This would be where Jefferson fits, Jackson, Washington, but uh, they're kind of getting that top 1%. Uh, for the most part, most owned, uh, those who did own, owned between, you know, 5 to 50 slaves or so. But even then, that in general was about only a fourth of the population, right? The mass majority, 3, 4, 75%. Were just southern kind of white yeoman farmers just subsisting right just surviving on whatever they farmed on their own you know they aspired to be uh slave owners but slaves were a pretty like, expensive commodity and again only about one-fourth of southerners could afford it. Uh, as far as just the domination of the planning or the the great planners right uh and how they gained their wealth right so they're so a lot of times they were pretty diverse we might think of the planners just focusing on tobacco or cotton which they did but, you know, a lot of trade going on, a lot of sale of land, slave trading itself could be a commodity. So, you know, the whole kind of way they made money was a little bit more diverse than just, I mean, the cotton and these things were the main money makers, but there were other factors as well. Uh, let's see, other things as far as relations and things like that with the slaves themselves. Uh, you know, for a lot of them, especially on the bigger plantations, the slaves probably had very little re uh, interaction with the actual owners themselves. Most of the time they were kind of seen by, or ones they were dealing with day to day were the overseers. And you know, these would be met the groups and scores and scores of men, right? That would kind of, um, sometimes might be called slave drivers, right? Overseeing their work in the fields, making sure they're productive, not taking time off. So that tended to be kind of the um, way this that situation kind of uh, went. As far as uh, those tended, those that had less slave rights, sometimes working um, you know, if you had less than 20 slaves or so, sometimes you work alongside your slaves. Uh, you'd have sometimes also sharing the master's poverty. So if the master was kind of struggling and barely making it, uh, you know, sometimes that was a worse condition than maybe a big plantation, a big, like a machinery of a plantation. Uh, let's see, some of the other things kind of going on. Uh, the growth and growth of the abolitionist movement up north, as well as kind of the uh, Nat Turner Rebellion, something that's going to continuously kind of cause uh, Southern society to kind of close in on itself. Uh, so this, you know, goes from uh, slavery defend being defended as a positive good, right? Uh, the idea that, you know, if nothing else, the whites are providing shelter, steady food, stability in a world that would really not provide that otherwise for this group. Um, excellent. Let's see some other things. Uh, the internal slave trade is something that really takes off, especially in the upper south. So this would be like the border states and stuff like that. So you know, the dealing of human beings and the trade of them as kind of a commodity and things like that. 
The book then also talks about here the concentration of slavery, kind of moving from you know, early 1800s in Virginia, uh, South Carolina, and these places, and then the transfer of that eventually, kind of like in the, what we think of as the Gulf Coast, all the way from uh, Georgia to East Texas and stuff. Uh, good. All right, guys, some of the other things going on are the uh, kind of big things towards the end are the over-reliance of the South on this kind of farming agriculture, this agricultural uh, work and so forth, right? It's going to create a big kind of inequality. So we'll see, uh, you know, things, in a lot of ways, the growth of the South is very much stunted because they don't diversify so much and they're part of that bigger system where they're producing this resource in cotton, right? And then um, it's mostly being bought by the English as well as by the Northerners and the North is turning around and the English are using it to make finished goods, right? Finished fabrics or clothing and what have you. So it's kind of, it's important to understand that this is all kind of a cog in a big industrial system and that slavery is a part of that system, right? Providing that cheap labor for that. But in the long term, this is going to affect things from infrastructure, right? The road systems of the South are going to be very slow to be built and very lacking. And then in a few weeks, we'll take a look at some of the railroad growth within the country. And, you know, while the North, it looks like a uh, sort of like a maze of different tracks and all this stuff, the South is going to be pretty scarce. Like there's pockets of development of the railroad. But for the most part, you know, most of the South is relying on the Mississippi, those tributaries, those natural waterways as their kind of road system. Um, and another big topic is something like education and it's uh, you know, stunted growth in the South, right? Because of their uh, segregation, because of their one-track mind when it comes to agriculture. Uh, get most colleges, all those things will be in the North and again, the South will be kind of struggle for a long time to kind of keep up or catch up with the North as far as education is concerned. All right, guys, I uh, did the best I could, at least kind of as fast as I could. Uh, again, I'll provide you with the notes if I haven't done so already soon. And uh, uh, hope you learned a little bit of something, and we'll see you next time.